Uh, last week I mentioned to you as we've been going through this stewardship series that uh, Jenny and I will not uh, borrow money for an automobile purchase. Um, you know, we started that many years ago. We started that several vehicles of, ago, actually. Uh, we just, uh, we don't think it's wise stewardship to borrow money for depreciating items. Uh, you know, something that we can't, can't sell and get the money back for it. And generally speaking, when you buy an automobile, as soon as you drive it off the lot, even in these, even in these times where prices are a little nutso, uh, it's generally worth less than what you paid for it. Uh, now, the fact that we, you know, that we know we're not going to borrow money means that we save money you know, as we go along what we can to be able to purchase a car, and it affects the car we buy. You know, it, it does. Um, first, the first thing we do now when it comes time where we have to purchase a car is we see how much money we have, uh, and we see how much of that money we're willing to spend on a vehicle. And then we look for a vehicle that fits that amount of money. That's the way we've shopped uh, for cars for, well, for years. Even when I borrowed money for a car, uh, you know, I remember we started um, years ago, uh, you know, shortly after Peter was born, actually. Um, we needed a new vehicle uh, because the one we had was um, the sunlight showing through the door. I was, I, I was going down... Uh, I was driving on LSD. That's Lakeshore Drive, so get your mind in the right place. And as I was doing that, the sun was the sun was rising, and I noticed a flashing light on the floor next to me. And I looked, and the sun was shining in the bottom of the door that was rusted out and across the floorboard. So anyway, it was time to get a, a, a new vehicle, and we sat down and thought, "Oh, how much can we afford?" And we went and looked for a vehicle that fit that, and um, we had to step down several times in, you know, the vehicle we were thinking about, but we stuck to that and have never regretted that. Uh, but since then, that's what we do, and, you know, we pay cash for it. You know, If you borrow money for a purchase, uh, you will, you will, I will say always, but you will most likely spend more than you intend. Because what you'll do is you'll go there, and, and have you ever heard this line when you borrow... It's only a few more bucks a month. When you go to buy it, when, when we went to purchase our house, they, trust me, the bank will always tell you, you can afford more than you can afford. Uh, we were, you know, to say we were shocked by how much they told us we could spend, it's like, no, you know, that, 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 that's not going to happen. Uh, first of all, let me tell you, the bank does not count on somebody tithing. And, and we do, and uh, some of you do, you know, and so the bank doesn't count on that. So, I mean, right away you take that, that you know, that amount of, uh, about amount of money out of there. Um, so anyway, when we bought our house, we went with our number, not the bank's number. And again, we've, we've not regretted it. I told you last week also I know a, a young man who saved up money and paid cash for a house. And, you know, and um, we were, have not been disciplined enough to be able to do that. But I also know a couple that saved up enough to pay cash for a brand new car now. And now that's something because the price of, you know, the price of their car is, and here's my age, you know, I never thought I'd be saying stuff like this. The, the price of their car is more than twice of what we, what we paid for the house that we had when we were first married. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's just, you know, but they can afford it and they have the cash, you know, to be able to do that. So remember, stewardship does not mean you don't buy things. That's not what I've been saying for these last few weeks. It's not that you don't buy things. And it's not that you don't buy even expensive things. 
Cars are expensive. Houses are expensive. You know, so I'm not saying you don't buy these things. You know, stewardship is knowing that God owns all that I have. You know, that, that all of my possessions as well as all of my money, He owns it all. I simply manage it. That was our first stewardship principle that we looked at. The fact that God owns it all and I am simply His steward. I am simply His manager. So I need to get to know him better. I need to get to know him better because he is the owner. And as the owner, I need to know his heart. I need to know his priorities. I need to know, you know, his direction for my life. You know, and the second principle we talked about, and it deals with who we serve. Uh, you know, and it's the fact that I can't serve God and anything else. I can't serve God and anyone else. You know, so I, I need to realize, I need to realize I am picking one. I am picking God, someone, something else, or even myself. I am picking one with every decision I make on how I use all that he has provided me with. I am making that decision all the time. The third principle we looked at last week, you know, and it it's, uh, looks at how I'm spending all he's provided me with, and that's I need to be rich toward God with everything. So... That means I need to review, you know, what I see as a necessity in my life. Am I, am I truly needy or am I just greedy? You know, and trying to be very honest, you know, and, and not blur those lines. Now, let me give you the fourth principle right up front. Um, you know, then we'll be, look at where, you know, where I see it pictured very clearly. Here's the fourth principle. I need to admit that there can only be one number one. There can only be one number one in my life. In how I live my life, and how I use all that God has provided, there can only be one number one. So, I should remember that it's all about God. He is the number one. He is the number one in my life. He is the number one in what I do. He is the number one in how I, I, I use and invest all that He's given me. And we look at this and we say, you know, well, of course. You know, well, of course, yeah. But remember, you know, just like the last three weeks, it's not just knowing these principles that matter. It's actually living these out. It's getting them into your life. It's getting, having your life transformed by God so that we operate according to how he's called us to live. You know, and when we actually live by these principles, I think we're going to be able to better handle that temptation that comes along. When I look at something and I see something and I think, oh, this would be nice. You know, this would be nice. Jenny and I went to the Home and Garden show. It was last week, week before, whatever it was. And um, we walked around there, and more than once we said, Oh, this would be nice, you know. Oh, yeah, this would be nice, yeah. Uh, more than once. How do we deal? How do we handle those times, those situations? That's what we've been looking at these last four weeks. Let's pray. We're going to get into today's passage. Father, thank you for the way you provide for us, and it's really way more than we deserve. And we pray that you would help us to see and understand your heart, your call on our life, your direction. Thank you for the way that you've guided me with these things over the years. And I pray that these might be uh, truths I continue to apply to my life. And maybe you'll be able to help others here with them as well. Continue to unfold your word and your truth, we pray, as we look now in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. If you're not there, turn there. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 1011 in the pew Bible. Um, you know, and, and the reality is you know, that we send a very clear message in how we use all that God has provided for us to manage. 
how we use what he's provided for us to manage, we send a very clear lesson with that. Now, that's in good times as well as in bad times. Because both of those times, good times and bad times, both of those result in us having times where we think, well, you know, that would be nice, you know. That that would be nice about things we don't yet have. If it's time where you are having less and you see what some other people have or you even see some things and you think, well, you know, that would be nice. Uh, you know, when, when I was driving that rickety, rackety old car and, uh, I, you know, there were times I'd see other people's cars and I'd think, well, that would be nice, you know. Uh, and, and, and times where, you know, you can uh, afford to, you know, have a, another car or, or a nicer car or something and you can look at others and you think sometimes, well, that would be nice. Um, you know, and we are, we will struggle with that, and how we handle that, you know, matters. It's, it's important. You know, we've been going through this series, and we're going to wind it up today. I hope you realize it's all about God. When we live this way, you know, we'll be going to be relieved of a lot of pressure that comes along when we see things and we're tempted and thinking this would be nice. You know, and, and realize we send a very clear message about who is first and the priorities in our life by how we use all God is entrusted to our care. Not just those official times. You know, not just those official times, but the way we consistently use what God has provided. It's easy to get it right once in a while. It's easy to get it right for a short time. How do we consistently use that? How do we consistently use all that God has for us? Today we're concerned with the long haul. We're concerned, you know, a little bit more with, you know, living a transformed life, a life that's transformed because of our relationship with Christ. Now, I want to read the whole chapter, so let's back up to verse 1 in Acts chapter 8. Let's back up to verse 1. It gives us a little bit of a setting there. As we get into this, look at the first verse, the first few verses. It says, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. On that day is the day that Stephen was stoned. That's what they're talking about. And it follows that message up and what went on because of that. So on that day, you know, the, the severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. This is the setting of what we're going to read now. This is the setting of what's going on. It was a time in which they were experiencing persecution, in which some things were, well, say it was tough as a bit of an understatement. Verse 4, follow along. So those who were scattered went on their way, preaching the message of good news. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds paid attention with one mind to what Philip said as they heard and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon, who had previously practiced sorcery in that city and astounded the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great, they all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had astounded them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ... Both men and women were baptized. Then even Simon himself believed, and after he was baptized, he went around constantly with Philip and was astounded as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. 
When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had welcomed God's message, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was giving through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power too, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you, because you thought the gift of God could be obtained with money. You have no part or share in this matter, because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Please pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Then after they had testified and spoken the message of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, evangelizing many villages of the Samaritans. Now keep your Bible open. <clears throat> or your phone, whatever you have, to that, because we're going to look. We're going to. I'm going to pull you back to look at some of these. But the question, you know, that I had to ask myself as I read this chapter is, whose glory am I living for? You know, whose glory am I living for? I think it's a very legitimate and a very important question for God's people. Who, you know, who am I trying to draw attention to? You know, whose glory am I living for? Who am I trying to draw attention to? Now, that's a humbling question for an extrovert because we don't mind attention. You know, those of us who are extroverts, we don't mind attention. You know, we go into a room and say, I want to acknowledge, I want you to acknowledge that I'm here, so let's talk. You know, and so it's a little humbling for an extrovert. You know, and it's a little frightening question for an introvert. Because an introvert, you know, they, they want no attention. You know, the introvert is, please don't, you know, please don't look my way. And certainly don't talk to me, ever. You know, that, so it's a little, both of these, both of these, I don't think are the answer God wants. I don't think this is what God wants at all. So get over yourself. You know, the, the message of a steward should be, it's all about God. You know that it's all, it's all about God. We draw attention to Him. We want others to see Him. We want others to come to know Him. He is the one that we want to receive glory. He is the one we want to receive attention. He is the one that we want them to see. Uh, you know, I was struck by verses 4 and 5 and verse 25. Look what it says. So those, verse 4, for those who were scattered went on their way preaching the message of good news. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. Look at verse 25. Then after they had testified and spoken the message of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, evangelizing many villages of the Samaritans. What are you known for? What are you, know, what are you known for wherever you go? What is so consistent in your life that everyone who interacts with you picks up on it? What is it that is so consistent in your life that everyone who interacts with you picks up on it and knows it, that they notice it automatically? If you've ever gone to a tourist destination and you're there at this tourist destination, you can pick out who's on their honeymoon because they're all about each other. Their attention is focused on each other. You know, they, the, the way they talk to each other, the way they are together. You know, holding hands, have arms, sitting there, and the way they, there's no question about who they're with. 
this is what it should be like for us. You know, this is what it should be like. You know, it, 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 it's that to make it obvious that I am with God. And when I look at these verses, you know, that they went on their way preaching. These verses, you know, they, they tell me that I need to make it obvious that I'm with God, that I belong to him, that he is the most important thing in my life, that we have a relationship that is important to me. And that relationship is predominant in all I do. You know, I want, to, I want to live a way that puts the attention on God, that draws the attention to him wherever I go, that I am living for his glory. And I send a very clear message about who is first and the priorities in my life by how I use all that he has provided me, how I use everything that he has entrusted to my care. Now, I know people who steward well, you know, they steward God's stuff well. But the attention is drawn to them and how well they steward not to God as the generous provider there's a difference you know there's a difference when I remember that God is my provider it changes my heart and it changes the way I live and then I begin to send a clear message that it's all about God it's not about my comfort it's not about my wise money management. It's all about him. It's all about his glory. He gets the attention. He gets the credit. Now, there's a real contrast here in these two lifestyles, you know, that scene, what you read here in, in Acts chapter 8. You know, as you look at Philip's life and then also as you, as, as you well, as you look at Simon and then as you look at Philip and, and Peter and John, you know, when they come. Uh, you know, we're told Philip went to the city in, in Samaria, which is a huge step. For them to go into Samaria was a huge step. The Samaritans were reviled. The Samaritans were, you know, were... were uh, uh, I was going to say puked on, but that would might, might be gross and shouldn't say it from the pulpit. So we'll say something else. They were, you know, they were, you know, they were offensive uh, to to the Jews, you know, and so they 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 didn't like the Samaritans. Just the fact that he went to Samaria was a huge step, and he proclaimed the gospel there. It says, Philip put Jesus' name up front, so Jesus got the attention. Think about when, when Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman. What did she say? You, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan? What was happening there? Well, the attention was on Jesus, so it's a good thing. But she was, she was impressed by the fact that a Jew was bothering to talk to the Samaritans. Look what it says here. It says here, look at verse 6. The crowd paid attention with what mind to what Philip said. Not to the fact that it was a Jew here talking to the Samaritans, but to what Philip said. They weren't drawn to the fact that he was such a smart guy. They weren't drawn to the fact, you know, that, that this was this Jew who bothered to talk to the Samaritans. They paid close attention, it says here in the scriptures, to what he said. And he was telling them about Jesus. And that's what they were drawn to. You know, people were healed and delivered from demons, it says. And verse 8 says, so there was great joy in that city. There was great joy when Jesus was the one getting attention. There was great joy when Jesus was the one that they were talking about. Now, in contrast to that, we're told there was a man named Simon who was also in that town. Verse 9, it says he practiced sorcery in that city. Astounded the Samaritan people. While claiming to be somebody great, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. They said, this man is the, called the great power of God. Whew. Uh, and it says they were attentive to him because he had astounded them with his sorceries for a long time. 
He practiced sorcery, you know, magic, witchcraft. Perhaps it was sleight of hand. Perhaps there was demonic involvement. Uh, one of the things, you know, people who practiced sorcery at that time, uh, sometimes it was they, they would use hallucinogenic drugs along with that and, you know, get, this, get people, you know, whipped up into a frenzy and things, and, and they would call on names of demons and pagan gods, uh, you know. But the point here is uh, Simon wanted the attention. He wanted the glory. You know, he wanted people to, he wanted people to know him. He wanted to be known. He wanted to be revered. You see, Philip's goal was to proclaim Christ. That was Philip's goal. His goal was to proclaim Christ and to put Christ forward. Simon's goal, Simon's goal was to be known and admired. Simon wanted to be known and admired. Philip wanted people to know Christ. Simon, it says he amazed people. People followed him. Some said he was the great power of God. We're told it says he amazed them for a long time. Verse 12 says when Philip came and told people about Jesus, when he put Jesus' name up front, when he was drawing attention to Jesus, it says people believed and were baptized. We're told even Simon was baptized then. Well, then the apostles came. And the apostles came to Jerusalem. And, you know, they said the, the, uh, Jerusalem sent Peter and, and John to Samaria to see what was happening, what was going on there. And as Peter and John ministered among the people, well, it became apparent Simon didn't really believe. It became apparent what Simon was, was doing. It became apparent why? Because his heart hadn't changed. His life hadn't changed. It hadn't come out at all. When you realize, when you realize and remember that God is your provider, it changes your heart, it changes the way you live. Simon had not made that transition. And Peter and John were able to notice that he, he didn't really have a commitment there. One way that became obvious, Peter or, or Simon offered Peter and John money. said, let me, let me give you some cash here if you give me that ability to, to, grant, to bring the Holy Spirit down. You know, you, he saw God as a money-making investment. Simon saw God as a money-making investment. Here's what we could do, and I could make more money. And Peter's answer, may your silver be destroyed with you. The problem's revealed in verse 21. Look what it says. Your heart is not right before God. Your heart is not right before. What's in your heart results in action. Uh, Jesus talked about that. You know, he said, Whatever, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your actions will be. There your dedication will be. There you will follow. There you will flow. Wherever, wherever your treasure is. So we need to remember, no matter how much you make, no matter how much you have, God is your provider. God is your provider. It's all about God. Simon wanted it to be about Simon. What we do and what we give is not buying God off. You know, look again at verse 22, 23. He says, you know, therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. He had these thoughts in his heart and it led to actions. Notice what it says. The intent of your heart. And then he says, I see, I see what? I see the intent of your heart by how you are living. I see the intent of your heart by the way you are talking. I see the intent of your heart by what it is you're striving for. And Simon wasn't following God. It says he was controlled by pride and greed. 
Pride and greed push God to the background. Pride and greed push God out of the way, push God out of the picture. Let me take you back to some verses we looked at the very first week from Deuteronomy chapter 8. A few more here than what we had that week. It says, when you eat and are full, you will praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Be careful. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his command, the ordinances, the statutes I am giving you today. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in, and your herds and flocks grow large, instead of herds and flocks, you know, you can put down all the stuff you have in your garage, in your shed, in your storage unit. Just a thought for you. Uh, and, your, and your herds and your flocks grow large, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases. Be careful that your heart doesn't become proud. Simon's problem. There's Simon's problem. Be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint rock for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers had not known in order to humble and test you so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. You may say to yourself, my power and my ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is today. Now we can forget this and look for a quick fix sometimes. We can forget that God gives us the power and the ability to earn. And we, can, and we look for the quick fix, you know, a lot of money, um, you know, fast cash to get it with as little effort as possible. That's the big draw of the lottery. That's the big draw of gambling, you know, the lottery and, and gambling. Um, it's, it's a love of money, which we're warned about in First Timothy. He says, those who want to be rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. You see, the love of money and craving it, that, that's covetousness. That's coveting, which God very clearly tells us that we're not to do. You know, perhaps you remember the Ten Commandments, and one of them is, do not covet your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, some people might say, um, you know, they only gamble on legal things. The lottery's legal. We only gamble at legal casinos. And with money that we can afford to part with, you know, uh, no different than going to an amusement park. A couple of thoughts to consider in regards to that. One is because it's legal doesn't mean it's right before God. Let me remind you of that. Kathy shared with us about, you know, Joe, Kathy. Joe shared with us. Kathy didn't come because she's got a new job. Uh, Joe shared with us about that some come to them that are looking for abortion and just need some information because abortion is legal in our country. That doesn't make it right before God. 
So the fact that, you know, the lottery, uh, you know, and, and casinos are legal doesn't make it right before God. Another way is to think of where the money is won, the money that you win in the lottery or the money that you win in a casino. Where does that come from? The money you win comes from thousands and thousands of people who have lost money. That's where that money comes from. And we're told to what? To love our neighbor, not to covet our neighbor's stuff, not to take what belongs to our neighbor, to love the poor and the oppressed. So I was studying for this sermon. I was troubled by something I came across, a, a study on gambling, and this is part of what it said. State governments concentrate lottery outlets in economically distressed regions to entice more citizens from lower rungs of the income ladder. And I thought, our government is doing this intentionally. Uh, the study also went on to talk about the fact that they also put some of the scratch-off lottery things, you know, more of those and, and more of those because they, they uh, push the instant win. You see, I don't have to wait for them to draw numbers. I scratch this off and I can instantly win all this stuff. Why? Because it's a higher, it's a higher enticement uh, for an instant payout. The lotteries, casinos, you know, they target the poor. Those who can least afford it because of their greater need, they are more tempted. Isaiah 3 says, the Lord brings this charge against the elders and the leaders of his people. You have devastated the vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. Why do you crush my people and grind the faces of the poor? This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. God's people should not be involved in plundering and crushing the poor. We should not be involved in that. My entertainment should not be at their expense. It should not be raking in what they lose. That does not bring glory to the Lord. No matter how much you have, no matter how much you make, when you remember the Lord is your provider, your heart will be changed. Pride and greed will be removed, will be scrubbed from you. Scrubbing sometimes isn't pleasant. It will be taken away from you, you know, and you will remember it's all about God. He is the one we need to lift up. He is the one we need to glory. It is all about His glory. Simon said, pray for me. What do I do? Well, same thing we need to do. When your heart is not right before God, repent and pray for restoration. Love the promise in 1 John. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. If we find the way we have been living has not been for His glory. If we find the way we have been managing all that He has provided us with, the money as well as our home, as well as our car, as well as all of that stuff pile up in our houses, if we have not been using those for His glory and honor, and and what we need to do then is we need to repent, we need to pray, we need to come before God. Simon wanted the message to be, look at me. Look at me. That's the message, that's the message that Simon wanted. Philip, Peter, and John wanted the message to be, look at Jesus. Look at him. Whose name are you drawing attention to? For whose glory are you living? How are you stewarding the gift of salvation that God has given to you? You Are you investing that for the Lord to help expand his kingdom and telling others about salvation in Christ? It says they went everywhere preaching the gospel. So, so So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the message of good news. What news, what message, what message are you preaching by how you use all God has provided you? I need to admit, there can only be one number one. So I should remember, it's all, all about God. Father, thank you for the way you have given to us life in Christ. That would be enough. But that is not where you stop. You continue to give to us. You continue to provide for us. You continue to entrust us with your possessions, with your funds. This is not my money. This is not my stuff. It is yours. And it always will be. And when I go... It'll stay behind and you will give it to someone else to manage. But in the meantime, help me, help each one of us here to manage, to steward, to use all you have given us. The possessions, the money, the knowledge of life in Christ. That we would use that all to bring you glory and honor. That people will come to know what a great, loving and powerful God you are. To you be glory, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.